0: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. You have praised the 1619 Project, which argues the U.S. is a fundamentally racist country, and you have made clear that you believe judges must consider critical race theory when deciding how to sentence criminal defendants. Is it your personal hidden agenda to incorporate critical race theory into our legal system? These are answers that the American people need to know.
1: There you go. We're off and running. SCOTUS hearings, hearings, Murphy. uh, Yes,
2: yeah. There there you go. That was uh, Marsha Blackburn, the senator from Tennessee, doing an outstanding job of reading a 3 by 5 card that her (laughs) staff wrote for her. I give her an 8.9 on on reading pace, slow and steady, found the period. Um, And, of course, it's a bit out of context. Uh, but, uh, that, I mean, you know, anyway, well, why don't, why don't we bring our guest in? That's yes. probably the way to start a thoughtful discussion. Yes. Who's like
1: always this. in context. Uh, Ron yeah. Brown always finds
2: the period. Exactly. He no
1: one better. Ron Brownstein from the Atlantic, from CNN, uh, author.
2: Bon vivant, LA resident and expert has yeah. a fantastic book that you ought to read that's soon coming out. Ron in
0: paperback. Rock, paperback, rock me on the water. It's yeah, a great book. It's a it great is, book. Thank you, guys. Yeah.
1: All right. We've 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 sucked up to Brownstein enough. Let's get to the <laughs> SCOTUS. Let's get to the, the SCOTUS hearings. It, it seems, guys, like the interesting thing about these hearings isn't whether or not she's going to be confirmed, because she is going to be confirmed, it seems pretty likely. It's how uh, particularly the Republicans use the hearings uh, to try and amplify their basic campaign themes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, so, uh, uh, Blackburn there, her whole deal was, you, you know, you're, you're tough on parents and soft on criminals and you want to bring, I mean, she was sort of a, uh, she was a kind of, uh, a, a cornucopia of divisive social issues that Republicans are working hard now. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm watching these hearings through that lens, uh, say what do you, you, yeah. you, you, you're, you're a uh a chronicler of the culture wars uh what do you see
0: yeah no look i mean i i think what you're seeing at the hearings is an expression of the same political strategy that is unfolding to actual consequence in roughly half the states the 23 states where republicans have unified control of government and look the trump era i think showed that the principal fuel the, the kind of the, the the gas in the engine for the republican coalition Uh, has clearly moved from economic issues to cultural issues uh, and that the core message uh, for many Republicans to their coalition is that you are being displaced in a changing America. And we are the last. We are the human wall, as someone put it to me, uh, that can protect you against all the forces that you think are marginalizing diversity, diversity you know, cultural diversity, uh, more LGBTQ people, uh, more secular, this kind of urban, you know, cosmopolitan, secular, diverse America that is erasing everything that you believe in. And that is the message they want to send uh, uh, during this, you know, during these hearings this week that, uh, you know, that the judge is, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of warrior in that call, cause. Um, and a- as I said, w- you know, what we're seeing is not is not just uh, a Trump pursuing these themes at the national level over the last four years. It has really become the North Star for republican controlled legislatures and governors and what we are seeing is this extraordinary outpouring of legislation across a number of fronts of abortion rights voting rights lgbtq rights book bans classroom censorship that are all kind of unified by this idea of we have to protect the america we've known against all these forces who want to transform it into something unrecognizable.
1: And one subtext of all of this, uh, or one, one sidelight of all of this, Murphy, is you've got a bunch of guys on that panel who want to run for president of the United States in 2024 in a Republican primary, where all these issues are going to be front and center.
2: Yeah, I'm tired of the whole thing. I'm not even watching most of it. It's kabuki theater. It's bad. I mean, you know, we have this fundamental rule politics. When a Republican nominee um, is made, of course, we need immediate caustic hearings. It's a threat to the nation. There's evil lurking here. We've got to get the video uh, store rental records out. When the Republicans are aggressive on a hearing, it's an assault on democracy. Uh so this one doesn't count cuz she's going to win she's qualified she's left of center you know but it's a left of center president so deal with it uh and so the stakes are so low it's hard for me to get very interested because i know both machines get shrill to raise money that said i agree with the premise ron has and the premise you have that you've got ambitious senators shocker uh who are thinking of running for president double shocker and they're 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 playing the hits here in their coalition. The, the only only thing I'd say a little differently, and, you know, it's tiresome and stupid and stuff's being taken out of context. It's a huge waste of time. I think the grown-up Republican strategists know, let them check their boxes. And as any, you know, toddler wrangler will say, get their yaya's out, uh, playing to the, you know, the conservative wing of the party. They hope to suck Do up. People to still
1: a- say that. I thought that was like, the Rolling Stones, like fifty years ago. No, no, no. Ago. We,
2: we parents still do oh, uh, with our, with our youngsters. Um, uh, but anyway, so you know, let them do their thing, and then get back to stuff that may win the election. And I, I agree with Ron, though. I wouldn't. I'm not quite. I would say what's going on right now. That, that is a big trend, no doubt about it. And you know, Mark Melman, the pollster, often says Democrats can make the mistake of thinking politics is about class when it's about culture, the divide, and the Republicans have exploited that well. Uh, the Repub- the Democratic mood toward move toward an identity focus. I mean, I always, and then I'll I'll shut up. But I I remember looking at the Clinton website and then the Biden website on the splash page, and on both there there were. These icons across the bottom of every different group in America, kind of this groupism, the Mark Lilla stuff, uh, uh, as opposed to the Republicans always sell one big idea, make America great again, MAGA, whatever it might be, shining city on the hill. So I think Ron's right about all that. I do think economic failure, though, is part of the equation going on right now. Sure. You know, the economy as a pain point is soared and Biden's perception on it is terrible. So that that's they, they've they got the culture war stuff they already would love to do. And now in the suburbs and other key places, they've got an economic story, which is uh, pretty good vis-a-vis the perception of Biden. So it's kind of a perfect storm for the Dems.
1: Yeah. No, there's no question about that. Uh, the The thing is, as I watch these guys, uh, you know, and as I watch DeSantis, for example, um, and I'm not trying to skip over 2022 because I know it's going to be a really disastrous situation for Democrats, but you think about 2024 and what these guys are going to have to do to try and be the nominee or what they think they're going to have to do to be the nominee of the Republican Party. And, uh, and they, they may be so submerged in this stuff that, you know, it, it defines what that culture becomes everything.
0: Well, you know, also, I mean, you, you're seeing Florida and Texas in particular are giving you the blueprint of what the Republican control states are doing and what the eventual Republican presidential nominee will probably have to embrace. Uh, limiting abortion, barring uh, schools from talking about, uh, you know, sexual orientation, limiting how schools and companies in private you know, settings can talk about. Uh, Race and gender uh, inequities, tougher penalties for protests, barring uh, transgender girls from high school sports, multiple states like Texas uh, saying that the therapy, transgender therapy for for minors uh, is child abuse. I mean, this is unfolding at at an incredible speed and, and, and proliferating from spreading from state to state. With kind of remarkable and, and, and intensifying as it does, you know, you see more extreme um proposals like Alabama, I think is life imprisonment for someone participating in a transgender therapy for minors or uh, in Idaho now where they have passed a law allowing the sibling or parent of a rapist to sue for damages if the victim aborts the child after six weeks. So all of this is happening It's it's the blueprint that uh, is spreading throughout the Republican Party. To me, the question is, will the eventual nominee in 2024 have to run on nationalizing a lot of this? Right. Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, don't you don't you think they have to to be the nominee? And the question is the question is, like, what does this these suburban voters who now uh, on some of these issues have shifted uh, or appear to have shifted back a little bit, these independent voters in the suburbs? How are they going to react to a, an array of issues like that? And does that give them uh, pause? It's, it's the classic situation. The things you have to do to win primaries are often not the things you need to do to win general elections.
2: Right, but most politicians on both sides, the Democrat side always, though I think Biden's kind of failed at it, um, and the Republican is kind of the TBD, are good at skating on that. Because, yeah, there's a lot of kooky stuff out there. Uh, you know, uh, the Green New Deal is kooky. The question is, will a Republican <laughs> nominee, you know, vibing this this energy in the primary, have to really commit, or do it Republicans kind of pre did for a long time, which is commit to some of it. It's always been a pro-life party, quote, officially, but it also had the Big Ten argument. And then you know, once, once you're elected or you're the general election nominee, you try to skate back. The question is, will the chains be so tight that it will have a negative effect? I think generally my experience has been, and the future is always unmade, but both parties tend to look at the other and say, oh, the kooks are going to run. It's going to be easier for us to win because this stuff won't sell in the general election. We'll see. There are a lot of people in the Republican Party who know how kooky it is and are trying to navigate the saber-tooth primary voters, but there are a lot of people who, think it is the way to win, you know, and that is the, uh, that's the scary part for those of us who know how to count.
1: Yeah. Cause you're sitting there, but you're a republic first of all, what's kind of kooky is comparing the green new deal to, uh, you
2: know, I thought that a would guy get you sitting going. in
1: Texas. Well, you know, I, I, yeah. I'm one who take climate change
2: seriously, Mike but my point is well i know what you're you're going to say they're not equivalent cuz you will find an extreme <laughs> well, damn, republican let me say example it <laughs> but but i think go ahead and then i'll we can argue about it for a minute
1: no 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 i mean look you look at some of the crap that's going on on the republican side some of the things that Ron uh mentioned uh you know the guy down in texas and this is how happening elsewhere who, who you know the, the state legislator who wants to prescribe the 8000 books that students in texas can of course read, of
2: course yeah, you know, I, I, yeah to kill a I,
1: mockingbird I, is out
2: yeah but you're 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 doing the good campaign thing which is to isolate one thing my point is in a general election well you did
1: the good campaign the, thing so i felt <laughs> i had to do
2: the right, good well, campaign thing. What, we are hacks <laughs> on tap here <laughs> yeah. point is i would not go into a general election with the green new deal and i don't think you would either and i would not go into a general election with some guy with a hanger in his suit in the state legislature trying to lock up trans kids or whatever.
0: But, my, but Mike, the difference, is, the difference is that these things are actually happening. I mean, they are passing, right? I mean, the, these states are passing uh, this, this legislation. Uh, you know, the Green New Deal is a concept that people are, have talked about. But, you know, you're talking about uh, what we're up to like a dozen states that have banned transgender girls from high school sports, and we are in the mid-15 states that have banned teachers, censored the way teachers talk about race and gender. Half the states are poised to uh, ban or severely restrict abortion uh, if and when the Supreme Court uh, overturns uh, Roe. Uh, We've had about half a dozen states that have severely increased uh, penalties. Uh, for uh, for public uh, protest, uh, uh, you know, voting laws, 19 states have changed voting laws according to the Brennan Center. You know, basically we are moving into a pre-60s world where your basic oh, civil that's... rights and civil liberties are going to look vastly different depending on what state you live in. And that kind of ties this all back around. I mean, why is this happening now? You know, like, why are we seeing this incredible upsurge of very socially conservative legislation? Part of it is the Trump, I think, impact on the party and his kind of this revelation that it really are these cultural fights that, that that motivate the base. But the other big factor is that the Supreme Court, the, the Republican majority on the Supreme Court, has clearly signaled on a variety of of uh, rulings on a variety of these fronts that they are not going to stand in the way of this. And and I think that's going to be one of the biggest stories of the 2020s. You're going to have this majority Supreme Court that reflects the cultural and social priorities of older white america trying to enshrine those in law at a moment when the country is fundamentally changing you know our our mutual friend bill fry at brookings pointed out that millennials and younger are now a majority of the country right i mean a majority of the country was born after 1980 and each one of these generations is more racially and culturally diverse than the one before and i think what you're going to see as I've written, I think this is very much like the 1850s or the 1930s, where you're gonna have a Supreme Court majority that was forged by an earlier political majority saying no over and over again to uh the kind of you know agenda of the of the of the emerging country. And I just wonder how that ends. I mean, the first one ended in a civil war, and the second one ended in packing the court. But if you think about Dred Scott and in 1857, a bunch of the decisions in the early 1930s. I think we're headed for that on climate change, on abortion, on LGBTQ rights, on over and over. One, one thing that I would say
1: to you, and you sort of, uh, you, you you said, it is, well, Trump sort of, you, you said, said these two factors are driving this Trump and yeah. the Supreme Court. But Trump was really, uh, Trump was a master exploiter of trends that were there. Yeah, he sure. picked up strands that were there. This uh, This changing demographic nature of the country can combine with the sorting that we're doing where metropolitan areas are becoming you know more more socially liberal bluer including the suburbs uh, and that's where the population is it's con- it's contributed to a sense of besiegement among uh, particularly rural white rural voters and so he he just he just turbocharged uh all of that but Murphy you're sitting there patiently which is unusual what
2: no no i think the democrats made and keep making a a bad mistake which fuels trumpism which is this identity obsession a nation of groups and what happens when it's a nation of groups and it's all a grievance hierarchy which group has the most grievances against who and the government will level those things uh then all of a sudden white working class people look at you and say we need to get a group and then a guy like trump comes around to Pour kerosene and race on it, because uh, they are feeling threatened. You know, all the income equality the Democrats love to scream about is in the 500 counties that vote Democratic. Big urban, a lot of really rich people who are becoming more and more liberal, and a lot of really, really poor people. And so it, it is geographic. You know, Trump won about 80 percent of the counties in America in number, but the vote is, is, is centered in 500 big counties that the Democrats win. And they're alien places. I mean, you can go pick a, a good paid, American up in Idaho and plunk them into LA County. And they're going to feel like aliens and vice versa. Uh, you know, we, so that, that is part of it. This tribalism has convinced both sides that the other is a threat to the country and then people become more militant. And the problem is when you create States that only one party can win, it's the fringy part of that party tends to have all the political power I, i i don't think the voters in idaho are are crazy to go persecute people i've worked there a lot i know that state pretty well but what happens is the people who participate in the primary process and bubble to the top tend to be ideologically pretty hot and they go to work in the legislature and they they pass stuff that's stupid and you know i can look at the california state legislature too on on the economic side so it, it is a it is a huge systemic problem we have
1: yeah marcia blackburn is sort
0: of the personification of that politics there yeah, i and agree she i'm not a fan of- i've criticized her for years in many of these states where this agenda is advancing like texas and georgia and even iowa um you could look at the last couple of elections and say the sorting that you're describing uh has strengthened republicans in rural areas but shown some even in texas you know some potential vulnerability in the big suburbs of the big metros in fact biden won all four of the large metro areas in texas the first democratic presidential nominee to do that since johnson in 64 even though he was buried by the rural numbers and the weakness in the in the valley among latinos okay so you have that weakness as your backdrop so you come out and what do you do you ban abortion you uh, allow open carry of guns. You say, uh, you know, transgender therapy is child abuse. Uh, you authorize the vigilante lawsuits that Texas has done. The, and and you look at the same thing in Georgia or Iowa or Florida. I mean, any of these states, The the assumption among these Republican governors and legislators and, you know, by extension, up the ladder into Congress, is that there is no suburban price to be paid for this really aggressive cultural agenda. At a moment when a lot of suburban voters aren't about the price of gas and the price of milk, do you think they're right? Or do you think they are, in fact, putting out more than the market will bear, even in a state like Texas? So I think there are kind of two ways to
2: look at it. Is it the precursor of the end of the world for civil liberties, or is it the death rattle of the old order? I, I think it's like the old oil business joke, speaking, of what's the cure for high oil prices? High oil prices, because everybody starts drilling and, and the market changes over time. I think Texas will be a swing state in 8 to 10 years. So uh, in the short term, they've got the votes they, they, you know, inside the Republican Party, and they can do some of this. If you look at the demographic trends in Texas, I, I think they're, they're, you know, they're doing well in the eighth inning here. And the playing field is going to change. The marketplace will change. The vote will change. The metroplexes are what's growing in Texas. The suburbs are growing. So are they making a mistake for November? No, particularly because Biden's going to make stupid Republicans win. Mm-hmm. A lot of Republicans are going to win for free. I mean, you could walk around in a clown suit right now and probably get elected in Texas as a Republican. Hell, in Michigan, you probably get beat Gretchen Whitmer in a clown suit, the way, the way the data looks there under Biden. But in four to eight, six, eight years, I, I think they're – they're going to hang themselves with this stuff because the market will change. And the demography, like you say, is undeniable. That's the future. You can't fight it.
1: But you're ignoring the sort of internal dynamic of the Republican party.
2: Yeah, but that can change too. If you start losing, you start evolving. You go into the desert. A lot of people starve to death. And
0: it, you yeah. know it, this approach has its obvious electoral limits, but it's not clear that in the near term, It is going to lose so catastrophically that it will undermine, especially because it's designed to reinforce itself. I mean, all of these laws on voting, as I like to say, are stacking sandbags against this rising tide of demographic change. You know, the critical race theory laws. I mean, most of them are being passed in states where a majority of the public school kids are already kids of color. It's not, I don't think it's so much about protecting the feelings of white kids as it is shaping the understandings of the non-white kids who are going to turn 18 and be the future voters. All of these, I think, are efforts to kind of institutionalize and fortify Republican power based on older, white, non-urban voters in states that, as you say, are demographically changing. And there's no reason to think it may not work for a while. On the voting laws, and I've been a screaming critic of a
2: lot of what these legislators have done in most places, but there are two complexities to it that don't get in the debate. One is more, net more states have loosened voter laws than tightened them that doesn't excuse the tightening. A lot of the tightening was post-pandemic. Should we be as crazy with the absentee ballots as we were during a pandemic? Is that the new norm or do we pull it back a little? I can argue pulling it back a little. I'm not crazy about California sending everybody an absentee ballot, but will it make a material difference in outcomes, making absentee ballot a little harder? Maybe a tiny one. You can even argue it'll, it causes such voter revolt. It might drive up mid uh, turnout so i don't i don't buy that argument quite as much that it's it, it's a big massive factor on, on outcomes but it's morally wrong but,
1: but you have a very benign interpretation of why these states are doing or how these states are doing what they're doing it's not like part of the discussion is yes uh we went too far during the pandemic we're not in a pandemic anymore we shouldn't do this but a lot of it is predicated on the idea that the last election was fraudulent you say that people in California, you, you object to people in California getting absentee ballots. Do you think that it has contributed no, to no, some No, you're paraphrasing massive... me
2: incorrectly. W- what happened in California was, during the pandemic, we, we have the best absentee ballot law, which is very easy to get an absentee ballot here. That's appropriate. We pioneered it. It was a Republican thing originally. Then the pandemic came, and the idea was, you don't have to register an absentee ballot. You just get one. I supported that. Then Newsom made it permanent. If I had- Been a uh, California politician, I stood up and said, let's go back to the pre-pandemic system where we had a loose, no excuse, no fancy driver's license needed absentee ballot law. You just register as a permanent absentee ballot voter. I would be accused of being a cro magnum Republican trying to roll back voter access.
1: No, but all I'm asking is do you think that there was – the, the whole thing is predicated on this idea that the system allows fraud on, on, because theoretically we as Americans should want it to make it as easy as right. possible no, for and people I don't buy to the vote. Argument
2: and I've never made it that the system creates that January 6th was about fraud. I just think it's reasonable to ask people to register without a lot of ID checks the way we used to in California to get a permanent absentee ballot. And I'm for no excuse. I wish the Democratic state of New York would introduce no excuse absentee ballots.
1: This drive that Ram Run discusses about uh, voting laws. Uh, and and by the way, you know, I mean, there are some of them that I think Democrats are foolish to fight. Uh, voter ID laws is a, that's, you know, I think most Americans, including a lot of African-Americans, uh, support those. I th- you know, you look at talk to Benenson and others who've done polling on this and they will. um uh, mm-hmm. And they will give you a, a you know chapter and verse on this, but this whole drive is predicated on something really insidious, which is we had loosened voting laws, and somehow it resulted in a massive fraud that elected no, it, illegitimately elected president. That is what's driving all that. Well, crap. and
2: it's morally wrong, as I've said every nanosecond of the since it started. But you and I could sit down and solve this in about an hour, because there and i'm even for nationalizing absentee ballot standards
0: i'm free of 3 let's do it yeah it resulted in the highest turnout <laughs> since the since since women had got the right to vote in but in, you know in a presidential election i mean and it, it, look I, I i i don't know whether every state should should be colorado washington and oregon and mail a ballot to everybody um but there's no question that those states have enormous turnout and they get really good turnout among young people better than better than states that don't and I don't think anybody has pointed to a problem in the states that have done that. Right. And we are obviously way beyond that, you know, y- to use the phrase of that North Carolina court. I mean, many of these laws are written with uh, surgical precision, uh, uh, you know, in terms of affecting urban voters, uh, eliminating the mobile voting in Fulton County that they use, uh, restricting uh, yeah, yeah, know, the eliminating 24 hour voting I, I in Harris County. I mean, that. this is. This is not, you know, this is designed very specifically. And who knows how big an effect I, you know, obviously there are a lot of other, always a lot of factors at play. It's hard to isolate, but it really doesn't take a whole hell of a lot to tip the balance in Georgia or Arizona at this point. I mean, these are, these are really closely balanced states. Look, anything that curbs legitimate voter participation
2: is a terrible thing. But here's my advice to the Democrats. You want to win the election, have an economic agenda. People will vote for. Just a little free tip here. Yeah. You know, the process stuff, you can, the halos oh, sure. are good. I wear one on it. It's fascinating. But in practical politics, if you, if you gave me, if, if Satan popped up to the floorboard and said, Mike, would you take even a tougher version of the Georgia law or Biden to have a 50% approval rating on the economy to win election? i take the Biden number. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, we will be back in a minute, but we have to pay a few bills. One of our sponsors
1: here is Aura Frames, and I'm so glad I got introduced to them because it is the coolest thing. It's a digital photo frame. So instead of one picture, now you can rotate pictures and can be delivered digitally to your picture frame. It's like a 21st century picture frame.
2: No, it's incredibly cool, incredibly high tech. We gave one to a friend that we spent a lot of time with and I've got him Pat Griffin up in New Hampshire and they put it up in their house. And of course I rigged it. So there were photos of the two couples together in the summers on Lake Winnipesaukee. But on photo 26, a picture of the Fuhrer and his dog came up just so in the middle of a <laughs> cocktail party, he'd be embarrassed. These things are really cool. You've got to check out an Aura frame.
1: Instantly, you can add photos and videos to your Aura frame using the Aura app. You stay connected to your favorite people when you invite them to your frame and surprise them with their own as a meaningful gift. You can even personalize it ahead of time by preloading a special message and cherish memories, hopefully not the Fuhrer's dog.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, it was an inside joke that teased Pat, a great patriot. But look, you listeners can get ahead of Mother's Day here. This is a great gifting opportunity because we have a special offer. Tell the good people what it is, Axe.
1: Take $20 off. On Aura's limited edition matted frame by visiting auraframes.com slash hacks. That's Aura, A U R A
2: frames.com slash hacks. Terms and conditions do apply. but aura frames are loved by the press. They're featured in more than 130 gift guides and they're selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. three well, years running. Aura frames are the number one pick for digital frames and wire cutter recommended by the New York Times, The Wall Street Journal Forbes, and high-end home design publications for the, those with exquisite tastes like my friend Axel
1: And uh, if you've got a, a Groig family as I do, now with grandchildren, it is a perfect thing to have. So Keep it in your mind as you're shopping for Mother's Day gifts.
2: And finally, don't be intimidated. You hear high-tech frame that can show a lot of pictures that you customize. You're thinking, wait a minute, I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not a computer genius. You don't have to worry. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. The only thing you have to come up with is a password.
1: And you know what? It holds 10,000 photos and videos, so you never run out of space. Really, really amazing thing
2: complete security too you don't have to worry and it makes the photos look like actual photos and here's the coolest part the app is so smart it curates it it has filter tools so it highlights and finds your very best photos so if you you like photos you like memories you want to find a great gift for mothers Day. you can't beat the aura frame
0: You know the political scientists who and I've talked to a lot of them, I think all of us have talked to more of them in the last year couple of years. the political scientists who study democracy and the erosion of democracy, you know, point out that there is a fundamental divide, not only in the u s but around the world, in the in the parties that are facing, Uh, authoritarian movements. And and the question is whether you call them out and you run against their increasingly authoritarian tendencies or whether the best way to beat them is what one of them called to me normal politics, you know, focusing on the price of bread and the price of gas. I mean, do you go out and say that Donald Trump is a threat? To American democracy, uh, and his movement is a threat to democracy as we've known it? Or does that not mean anything to anybody? And the only way you beat them uh, is by saying that you're going to give them, you know, uh, you're going to give people more kitchen table help. That, I think, was Biden's vision. I mean, Biden came in wanting to lower the temperature on all the culture wars and to deliver tangible help to voters. I mean, checks in the pocket, shots in the arm, shovels in the ground. And He has been able to do that to some extent. But the big blast that he was hoping for uh, in Build Back Better, which included a lot of tangible things to lower drug prices and healthcare costs. And nobody uh, knew uh, when you're when you're yelling into a microphone not connected to anything, nobody's
2: going to hear you.
1: But wait a second, Ron. I mean, because you just wrote, I thought, a compelling piece in The Atlantic about uh about biden's situation i want to talk about the two pieces that you wrote this week one in uh, for cnn and one for the atlantic one on the 22 prospects for yep. democrats and the other on on Biden's standing which are linked yes uh i mean he could pass whatever the hell he wants if inflation is at eight yes. percent in november sure. uh if p if we are if we are mired in yet another uh, uh strain of of the virus uh there's you know Nothing that he passed passes matters. And in some ways, as you pointed out, he's a prisoner of things, of of forces that are larger than himself. I agree with Mike, you know, look, in terms of Democrats, when you look at every Democratic president who's gotten elected, including Joe Biden, they were not the most progressive uh, candidate in the field. And they stayed away from cultural issues, (laughs) including Barack Obama. Did not run on 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 cultural issues, and if the Democratic Party uh, becomes a party that's focused on cultural issues, I I think it will uh, it's it's going to go badly, particularly in some of these swing states that they need uh, to win. But uh, I do think that there are these larger forces at play, and you can argue about what Biden did and didn't do that may have contributed in Mm -hmm. some ways to inflation and so on. But the bottom line is. Uh, if the economy sucks in people's minds, uh, they're going to hold him accountable for it Absolutely, and that's the, that's the bind that he's in and that's the bind that Democrats are in and, and all of the sort of, we've done this and we've done that and insisting that things are better than they, they, uh, they were a year ago, uh, or a year and a half ago, that's not gonna, that's not gonna cut it.
2: Yeah. Not only that, the Dems fall into a logic trap. Um, and you kind of got at it, Ron, a little bit earlier, which is, well, should we do the morally right thing and defend democracy or should we do the grubby politics to win? And the side that says we have to defend democracy tends to win the day, but they don't always win the politics. Um, and so I think they've fallen into that. It's great therapy to scream about Trump. I do it all the time. I'm an apostate in my own party. I love to scream about Trump. But it doesn't move the needle that much because right now, Joe voters saying, yeah, Trump was a jerk. But guess what? I didn't have 650 gas and I didn't yeah. have
0: inflation. Well, I look, I think 2022, it's, it's almost as if 2022 and 2024 are uh, offer the two prongs and two alternatives that I talked about. that people debate on, on the course. Midterm elections are referendum on the here and now on, right. where, on where the country. Well,
1: is. And I, I don't think par- incumbent party.
0: Yeah. And the incumbent party, the party that is in power. You know, is held responsible for conditions. It's really hard to make midterm elections fundamentally a choice. I mean, you can uh, in individual races, particularly in the Senate, you have enough money enough visibility. You may be able to disqualify an opponent to to get through in a bad environment. But if a president's approval rating is at 40 percent and 75 percent of the country says we're on the wrong track. Uh, the midterm is going to be very tough. Plus, you have right. the structural problem that the party out of power is always more motivated. You know, yes. you know this stat yeah, as yeah. well no, as exactly. I do.
2: It, it's it's always the history.
0: It's it's always there. Since eighteen said Republicans have to win five seats to win the House. Since eighteen seventy, there are only four midterms where the party out of the White House didn't win that many seats. You yeah. know, and they all had something really unusual the the New Deal, Congress, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Clinton impeachment, and nine eleven. So, you know, we have a we have a pretty clear history. I think twenty twenty four is 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 different though. Um, you know, depending on where we are. You mean twenty twenty two, the
2: midterms, or the reelect twenty twenty four? Yeah,
0: twenty twenty four, yeah. I okay. look, I, I, I the reelect, uh, or or the someone else elect, yeah, depending on, on what happens. You know, Reagan. Clinton and Obama did have a pretty similar trajectory in their first two years. I mean, they were all elected at a moment where there was intense dissatisfaction with the direction of the country, which is not surprising because that's when you usually have right. a cheap hour in the White House, right? right? They come in, there's a little burst of optimism, uh, then things don't get better as fast as people hoped or expected on the economy. Their approval goes down, wrong track goes up, their party gets walloped in the midterm, especially for Clinton and even more for Obama. Um, But then in the second half of their first term, the economy kind of untangles a bit. Optimism goes up. Their approval goes up. Uh, They all get back to 50 by election day. Obama just right, as David probably remembers, right before election day, nail biter, but Clinton and and Reagan, and they all win re-election. So to me, the question is not whether, you know, Democrats are in a difficult situation for November. That's what you would expect when wrong track is this high. The question is, has Biden taken on any big leaks in the boat that would prevent him from recovering the way reagan clinton and obama did if if things get better if things don't get better you're carter i mean you're i you would know, bet against it
2: for one reason
0: so do you think he can recover if things well, get better? can i just before you answer yeah, mike
1: ahead. let me just add one thing because i haven't been involved in obama's real it wasn't just that the economy improved i mean there was an uptick in the economy yeah. but uh uh at the end but 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 uh Mitt Romney actually in terms of who's best suited to uh to manage the economy, uh he had much higher numbers than Obama going into election day. Uh Obama had better numbers and fighting for the middle class. Yes. And, and and my my point is we set up a contrast. We knew that it would be hard to win a referendum in twenty twelve, and we set up a contrast with uh, we uh, the presumptive nominee, who is Romney, uh, from the very beginning. And so that is part of the equation as well. In the presidential, right, David? In a presidential reality. right? You can make the presidential more of a choice. It's hard to yes, do that in the you, midterm. It's very hard to do in a midterm. Anyway, Mike, go ahead. Yeah,
2: yes. no, I, I agree with that. It, you have to be close to make it a referendum. Otherwise, it, yes. it, I mean, close to make it a choice. It, if, it, if it's big, it yeah. becomes a referendum. What I'd say about Biden is, Despite all the things that have happened to him, they have been incredibly bad at doing the tactical politics right. I I think he could be in much better shape today, even with all the things that happened. Um, He had the opportunity to hit a lot of doubles, and instead they— allowed themselves to be marginalized by the left in his own party to lose the perception of a centerist. Uh, and so I don't think he has the skill set to take advantage of any breaks he may get on the economy to come back. He'll get, if the economy comes back, he'll get some comp He'll get some comeback, but there will be no multiplier effect based on his skills. There'll be a drag because they're horrible communicators and they haven't been able to get the easy wins, let alone the tough ones on the, do- on the domestic political stuff. So, I um, also I think the left, which has bullied him, at least in the House, uh, isn't going away. So in his strategy to date has been to appease them by moving left. Hey, they just declared war on charter school funding this week. It's not really out in the press yet, but it will be, because he keeps trying to do that, and that is not a formula because it undermines what he was elected as. So I think they have fundamental yeah. problems of of, doing politics that'll get in the way of a comeback even if there's one to be had
1: okay then let's take a
2: break right here and we'll be right back hey axe it's plug time here because we want to tell you about a podcast we love oh wait a minute i'm reading a script here how about a podcast we tolerate called (laughs) hell in high water
1: i like it i don't know it's oh i do too it's hosted by our buddy John Heilman, frequent guest here, one of the most, one of the tallest, he's one of the tallest tallest political journalists in the country.
2: Follicle deprived, that too, but you all know him as the host of The Circus on Showtime or from his regular, to some extent, overwhelming appearances on (laughs) National, as a, what's his fancy, a National Affairs Analyst on MSNBC and NBC News.
1: The man has a lot of jobs. You might also know him from one of his many guest spots on this very podcast.
2: Yeah, because he won't leave us alone. But on Hell in High Water, his podcast, John dissects our tumultuous times. I'll bet he wrote this with deep thinking from the world of politics and culture. But he does get good guests.
1: Yeah, he does, because we're on the list
2: here. Yeah. So
1: that is deep thinking. And also people like Brian Cox, a.k.a. Logan Roy from Succession and Jeff Goldblum and journalist Ann Applebaum. So,
2: you know, basically anybody who will agree to be on it, Karen Bass and a whole lot more, even us.
1: If you like in-depth conversations that get at the heart of the apocalyptic moment we're still <laughs> living through, then Hell in High Water is the podcast for
2: you. So subscribe to Hell in High Water wherever you get your podcasts, particularly if you have an abundance of free time. We're kidding. We love them. And we have subscribed and we listen too.
1: Yep. So check it out. We don't know if Joe Biden's going to even run for president in twenty twenty four. I mean, we, we're all no, all of us are speaking as if the fact that he's going to be eighty two no. years old is not no, a no, factor you're right. here, or, or politics uh, may and, prevent him. From I mean, running, yeah, the, the yeah. party itself is going to have to figure out that uh, that thicket. But we should shift to twenty twenty two. And but well, the other point I want to make on this, Mike, is I, I agree. Joe Biden won. By being the center-left candidate, yep. and 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 proclaiming his moderation, and that's still, I think, there's still there's still a constituency out there, including uh, particularly African American voters, older African American voters in the South, who are very uh, instrumental in those primaries, who who uh, who are you know more conservative than I think liberals in their gleaming towers in the cities believe. Oh yeah. There's uh, a reason
2: Bernie Sanders could not get arrested in an African American precinct in the primaries. But yes, you're we agree on this.
1: No, but anyway, well, let's get to twenty twenty two and your piece, Ron, because the premise of the piece was that uh the House is probably gone, I think. This the Senate is uh is competitive and you argue that it's competitive because uh in uh because Republicans uh are more Given the array of races this year, Republicans have uh, a tougher road to hoe in these swing states than Democrats.
0: Well, it's just at least the, the landscape is it gives Democrats a fighting chance in the Senate to, uh, to a greater extent than they than they have in it. Look, in the House, I think the Democratic goal has to be to hold down the losses to the point where you can realistically try to win it back in 24 mm-hmm. uh, or, or 26 if there's a Republican president after 24. Uh, mm-hmm. As I said, Republicans only to win five seats or four midterm elections since 1870, where the party had a power. Right, a right, so that's, right, right. That's a strong. That's a strong hit. But you know, the, the macro trend in the Senate is that we are moving toward greater alignment between presidential results and Senate results. So uh, you know, almost the, completely, almost complete. Right. So there are only three
1: states, senators of the opposite party in each. There are six senators in the yeah, United three. States Senate today who yeah. represent states that uh, opposite the party that the state voted for for president.
2: Right, but due to the the nature of the rotating Senate this year, the only lab test is on Biden states.
0: Yes, exactly. And that, so, you know, uh, you know, if you go back to the seventies and eighties, I mean, Democrats still held half the states in the, in the half the Senate seats and the states that voted for Nixon twice and the states that voted for Reagan twice. But right. now, David, as you point out, uh, if you look at, at the 2020 results, each party has 47 of the 50 seats in the 25 states that voted for their guy. Uh, And, uh, you know, uh, and by the way, those 25 states that voted for Trump voted for him both times. But doesn't that make the big question of this cycle? Are Biden's problems so
2: big that it bucks the trend of the Biden carried your state, that Dems should win, even though some of the Republican candidates are mediocre. The Biden's in so much trouble that even that may not be enough to beat him in states that they should
0: be losing. It It may not be enough. You know, I also look these are the what are the states that we're talking about uh the, the top Democratic targets are Pennsylvania and Wisconsin right which, which Biden won narrowly the top Republican targets are Arizona and Georgia where Biden won narrowly Nevada where he won by a little more uh and then conceivably New Hampshire and Colorado in a very good year that he won by bigger margins and I think would be would be would be somewhat uh, a tougher. I mean, this, this is the, the, the general history is toward this alignment, but there are always exceptions. I mean, you know, there there are Tester and Mike Manchin survived in 18 and, uh, you know, in states that uh, they carry, that Trump carried. Um, so, yeah, I, but but that that is the basic landscape.
1: Yeah, I agree with you guys that in a kind of wavy year, if the president's numbers are down, the jump balls are all going to go to Republicans, but candidates matter. And, uh, I think that's the
2: hope that, well, that'll be Wisconsin.
1: Yes. Well, yes, but it also matters who Democrats nominate in Wisconsin, uh, the front runner in Wisconsin, the Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, fine person, very, very progressive Wisconsin. It, it may be the swingiest of all swing States. Uh, and, uh, it all really revolves around who turns out and, uh, how that suburban area around Milwaukee goes. And, um, You know, Rod Johnson was thought to be dead six years ago. And I think, you know, there's good reason why his numbers are bad in Wisconsin.
2: No, he works at it. (laughs) No doubt about that.
1: I would not bet on that race, uh, particularly Pennsylvania. You know, uh, the lieutenant governor, Fetterman, is likely to be uh, the nominee. He's running as, you know, he's kind of a, a, a Bernie uh, Democrat and sort of a combination of of Bernie and Jesse Ventura yeah, no
2: he looks like Jesse and votes like Bernie uh
1: but uh, but Republicans you know if they nominate Dr Oz uh you know I like Democrats chances if they nominate McCormick maybe less so uh Arizona you know Kelly you know right now I'd favor Kelly because Republicans have not you know the Uh, McConnell wanted the governor to run And he wouldn't run Because
2: he was afraid of Trump How about Georgia, David? Gonna lose Who's gonna lose? I think Warnock's gonna lose in Georgia
1: You think Herschel Walker beats Warnock?
2: I think there's a huge chance He blows up on the pad but if he doesn't do that, and it's a generic Georgia in this environment, with Biden doing a third approval on the economy, if those numbers are the same in October, yeah, I think Warnock will lose, even though Warnock is running way ahead of Biden on popularity. Let, let me just say, it's funny. We've been talking on the podcast about cent raises for a long time, and Dave and I have basically been in the same place, which is better than the House because of the suburbs, candidate you know, problems on right. the Republican side. But I wouldn't have thought when I was talking about this stuff six months ago that Joe Biden's numbers would be 37% on the economy with runaway inflation. So that is a world. I was around, I started my career in 86 with the Democratic tide in
0: the Senate. Mike, I interviewed you in 84. Yeah, but eighty six was first Senate race. When, when you were when you were writing ads for Nick Pack and not getting paid. Yeah,
2: well, no, I was getting paid, but hourly. I didn't have no, a no, union. No, no, they,
0: they, they were they were stiffing him on the bills because Richard. No, Kimberly's no, taking no. All you're you're
2: you're thinking of an independent race at the time. I actually started Nick Pack in eighty two, but you're right. Yeah. We we did we have known each other that long. But to to land this uh, windy comment of mine, the fact is we were doing the normal analysis, which is you know the yeah. Biden states Biden. Uh, in the Senate this year, better candidates, probably Republicans nominate fools and the suburban move off the 2020 election. What has changed is the Biden collapse. And that is a forgiving tidal yeah. wave to a lot of mediocre situations for the Republicans. Yeah.
1: If they're mediocre, if they're beyond mediocre and completely out of the mainstream. Yeah, the, the
2: worse Biden gets, the more mediocre you can get away with, you know, because right. you just hide the candidate and run 100% negative on the Dem.
1: Talked to a Democratic pollster who was polling for a Democratic uh, incumbent office holder, who said that this office holder was ahead in June, behind now. Their numbers are still the same, but Biden's have dropped, you know, by a dozen points or yeah. something. And now that now they're now they're losing.
2: Virginia governor race was the same thing. Biden's numbers started sliding, and there were there were there were local issues, of course. And uh, a million reasons, but it, it is when you have an anchor around your neck, it's hard to swim. If it's a 50 pound anchor, it's really hard at a 200 pound anchor. You're, yeah. you're, you're heading to David Jones locker.
1: Biden is handling this Ukraine situation about as well as you can handle it. He's shown real strength in this week. He'll be, you know, in Brussels and he'll, he, he, he has held the, and strengthened the, 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 uh, transatlantic Alliance and, and NATO and, Uh, you know, but he's not, it's not showing up, you know, in, in, in polls.
2: Yeah, no. And it's starting to slip. I mean, I agree. He's done a wonderful job with NATO and the Alliance, but right now the optics of it are starting to slip for him. The Mig 29 thing was symbolic.
0: Look, it's hard for a president with $6 gas to get their approval of. Exactly. If you look at the elections in this century, all of the midterm elections, whether it was W Obama, Trump, um, there are very few senators who have won re-election in a state where the president's approval was 45% or yes. won an right. election. Correlation is becoming overwhelming. Uh, and I've written about this a bunch. I mean, presidential approval is really, really hard. We're, we're, we're at a point where somewhere north of usually eighty-seven, eighty-eight percent of the people who approve of the president will vote for the Senate candidate from his party and an equal number or even higher of disapprovers will vote again. So like like Mike says, it's hard to swim away from an undertow this big.
1: And this is why you know I agree. I agree with him. I mean, I think I'm I'm dark on this. <laughs> no, I, no, I,
0: you're building a bunker out there in your secret Michigan
2: hideaway. I know. I've seen the concrete order. Um, yes. You know, I learned a lesson in '86. Alex Castianos and I were uh, partners, and uh, uh, we were we were doing this race in the South for an incumbent senator, and we we you know we were running ads like crazy, and we moved the favorable up and everything. And I talked to a wise old politician and i said oh i think we may survive you know where it's a decent state and we've moved his numbers up the favor's up 15 and i said now they're mad at the president they need your guy's body to beat the president with mm-hmm. not about your guy and that's what happened we lost
0: it's a big change in american politics i mean the, you know the the name on the front of the, the name in the back of the jersey doesn't matter as much as the color on the front of the jersey it's becoming much more parliamentary but again not absolute i mean there are exceptions and there may be a Kelly or a Warnock who who can who can make it work. So here,
2: here's a good hypothetical for you guys, your crystal balls. Republicans win the House. It's, you know, Speaker McCarthy or Scalise or mystery candidate. Mitch is back as Senate leader. Now the Republicans have tremendous power in D.C. and they have to govern. Is that good or bad for him? Looking at 2024, be it in the spotlight in the hot seat.
1: I think that McConnell is going to have uh, his hands full with the House. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that McCarthy, if he's the speaker, I mean, he's kind of shown how manipulated he will be uh, by the most strident voices in the party. And I think that they're going to be, you know, they'll be talking impeachment and we want to go back and let's have, uh, you know, a, a year's worth of hearings on uh, on this and that uh, relative to Biden. And um, if the country's in a bad mood about, conditions and that's what they're doing. Yes, I I think that it's not an unalloyed good thing for uh,
0: Republicans. There are mixed models, right? Truman, Clinton ultimately benefited from having having the foil and the contrast. Obama didn't really, I think, run against the Republican House as much. He tried to make a deal with Boehner in in 2011, but I look—it's easy to imagine. I think it will bring this full circle. The Republicans may be pressured to try to nationalize many of the things that are happening in the states. I mean, will they? Will they pass legislation trying to uh, a statutory national ban on abortion or a statutory national restrictions on how schools can talk about race? Oh, it'll get introduced.
2: I, I don't think they'll be able to pass it. But you're right. You're right. Will they nationalize the culture war? But if inflation is still terrible. It'll eat them too, just like COVID has now eaten both parties in different ways. I think we're almost out of time. Is there any other mega issue here before we get to the mailbag?
1: Since you guys were nostalgic about, uh, you know, (laughs) ancient history, uh, maybe we should kick off the mailbag song here.
2: There you are for nostalgia buffs. There you are. We're playing the hot wax here at uh, Hacks on Tap on your FM dial. If you have a question for the hacks, and we have a special request I'm going to add too, uh, you just email us at hacksontap at gmail.com, hacksontap at gmail.com. And a loyal listener, Joe in Detroit, has straightened me out on the fact that Some of your products sound really good, but you go through the thing too fast, and I can't find a pen to write it down, and I never get to order the products. So, Joe, if you and others heard a product you like, all you got to do is email us at hacksontap at gmail.com. Tell us what product you're talking about, and our hardworking producers will email you the the web link to get those discounts we like to say we like to promise our listeners and finally check out the hacks on tap newsletter the gibbs and i do a lot of uh, jokes about david all kinds of fun stuff we don't talk about in the podcast hey, wait Hold on a second. yeah you got to start reading it uh <laughs> it, it's free just trying to get my attention it comes out by email twice a week all you got to do to subscribe is go to hacks on tap little period, hacksontap.bulletin.com, and it'll be delivered to your inbox, quick, fun read twice a week. Finally, merch. You emailed us. You wanted the mugs, the coffee mugs, the beer mugs, the apparel. It's all there. Just go to hacksontap.com and go to our little store and get some of our fine, mostly American-made merchandise. Okay, that was one ton of plugs. So now let's finally get to a question. This is from Ben for Professor Axelrod. Ben writes, I have a great congressman. Well, we'll see about that, Ben, who consistently wins our D plus three district by 20 to 30 points. I'll bet it's in Chicago and I voted for him eight times. Back to the question. Anyway, he wins our D (laughs) plus district by 20 to 30 points. And I've been wondering what makes incumbents successful in competitive districts? Is it their character? fundraising ability legislative achievements or something else
1: well if they're smart it is their ability to state to use all of those advantages uh, to communicate uh, on a regular basis with their constituents on local issues and even if the national politics are roiling their ability to uh, uh, talk about delivering for their districts is central people develop a personal relationship uh, with their, legislators. And if they're energetic and they get around their districts, people know them. So often what you hear in focus groups is, you know, I hate the national Democrats or I hate the national Republicans. What about your congressman? He's a good guy. I know him. He's, you know, he's working for us. Now, the question is, how does that uh, fortress hold up in gale force winds? And if there is a, uh, you know, if you have a D plus three district, how fortified is that that legislator if the tide is as tough as it looks right now? And that's what I would be worried about. But I will say this, uh, and I think Ron, you probably agree with this: the redistricting process turned out a lot differently than I thought it would. I think Democrats have done as good a job as they could do to try and hold back, how hold down the number of losses they're going to, uh, they're going to suffer in twenty twenty. 2022, uh, which was surprising to me. I thought Republicans would have banked ten
0: seats or yeah.
1: or more here.
0: Well, I mean, you had the combination that Republicans focused more than people expected on fortifying their impo- incumbents than trying to take the risk of every, you know, uh, spreading their voters out for every possible seat. So that 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 limited the the damage from a Democratic point of view. Uh, and, uh, democratic, there were a few democratic states that where they ended up doing better, uh, from a net basis than, than may have been anticipated. But having said that, you know, you've got, uh, this analysis that there are roughly as many Biden seats as Trump seats. Go back to what, what Murphy was saying before. Yes. I mean, you know, if you got a Biden plus two seats and Biden is suddenly at 43%, uh, a lot of those could, could fall by the wayside. Yes.
2: Yeah, if I were Ben's congressman and I'm in a plus three seat and it's not Metro Chicago, I would chain myself to the biggest oak tree I could find. Yeah. Yeah. Plus three seats are the kind that are going to get clipped.
1: Yeah. What
0: will be interesting to see is how they position themselves relative to Biden. One thing worth noting, anticipating this, you know, the Democrats having a rough midterm. uh, You know, the last four times a president went into a midterm with unified control of government, they've lost it. Like four times in a row, Trump, 2018, Obama, 2010, Bush, 06. He didn't have it in 02 because of this party switch and Clinton, 94. So, I mean, it, we, we are in a pattern where neither side has been able to sustain an advantage over the other. The other thing I would point out, that is, except for that asterisk thing of 01, 02 with Jeffords switching, once a party has lost unified control, it's taken them at least 10 years to get it back Yeah, 1980. And so we're, we're in this weird pattern where you can yeah. And hold it. Try to squeeze into everything in two years, and then it, then it goes away for a while. Biggest yeah.
2: pattern that I see for the last ten years: we've been fifty to seventy-two percent wrong track. Yeah. Voters are into firing people.
1: Yeah, your point about squeezing everything in the first two years, I think, is really important. I think that hurt Biden here. Yes, uh, because Democrats treated this like uh, 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 you know the last plane out, mm-hmm. and everybody wanted to get their priorities on and. Uh, nothing actually penetrated the public consciousness and it looked like yep. uh, a big spend fest. And, uh, it, you know, it, it, ultimately hurt. Okay. The next question would be for you, Mike Murphy. Uh, Paul Waldman had a piece in the post suggesting that Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger running for the Republican presidential nomination could be just what saves the party. Is there, is there any hope for a truly anti-Trump run, uh, anti-Trump to run, uh, for the party nomination. And I'm not talking about the trump light, DeSantis, Hawley, etc., not the tepidly Trump-critical Christie, not the weathervane's Rubio Cruz, but really someone who takes democracy seriously.
2: Well, Sean, I think someone like that will run. I would not be surprised to see the heroic Adam Kinzinger run. Now, will the Republican primary be in a place where an implicitly critical of Trump primary candidate can get a lot of votes? Looks uphill to me, but worth a try for a little thing we like to call America. So we we'll are see. we we'll C. I I will say this. The thing to remember about Trump is 75% of the party will give him a favorable approval. But under that, half of that 75% or more will say we do think it's time to move on to somebody else. Criticizing Trump not the golden ticket to win a Republican primary evolving beyond eh, there may be energy there. So I think the Trump lights or the slightly criticals might have more chance, but I hope Adam or Liz, I hope they do fight and maintain a big position in the Republican party. We sure know they have the courage.
1: Let me ask you a question. This is, this all presupposes no Trump. What if Trump is, how do you run not as a anti-Trump candidate in a
2: primary in which Trump is running? Uh, I'm the future of the movement he started. The mm-hmm. Subtext, he's old and crazy. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's harder, a hard one. For, oh, for, yeah, yeah. But let's see what he is in a year. We, we got to let that souffle continue to bake and flake, uh, which is what it's been doing for a year. And the other question is, how much credit will Trump get for the Republican comeback this year? He deserves none, but he'll work mightily to take a lot. And I think the way the media scorecards everything, they're going to give him some.
0: And that'll be good for Trump. If that's the case, Mike, the bigger question may be, do either of them, Cheney or Kinzinger, run in a general—if Trump is the nominee, would they run as a independent candidate at general election? Yeah, there's a lot of energy to- for it. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see.
1: Well, the other question is, would that actually help defeat him or, or would right. it actually— Or would it split it, would the anti-Trump Trump vote right, exactly. right? and help
2: reelect him? And part of it depends on how awful the Democratic nominee post-Biden is. And the Democrats have shown us they're really good at helping Trump.
1: Yeah. So, Ron, here's your question, and it comes from a fellow named Mac, which is also the name of my dog, by the way, but he didn't write this question. I understand Pennsylvania and Georgia are the races you're most interested in this year, but what do you think about North Carolina? North Carolina has had a purple hue for a long time, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Bonus question, do you believe Governor Roy Cooper of North Carolina could be competitive in a Democratic primary in 2024? Both interesting
0: questions. Yeah, well, look... North Carolina is a state that Democrats have to find a way to contest uh, in in this decade to offset the uh, increasing struggles they are going to have in uh, Rust Belt states. But it has gotten tougher. I mean, it's kind of like the Iowa of the South in some way where, you know, in the Trump era, Republicans have found a seemingly inexhaustible pool of conservative rural white voters uh, that allows them to overcome decline. In the cities, I mean, Democrats have the added benefit in North Carolina that it's steadily growing uh, more diverse. Uh, uh, basically, forty-five percent, I think, of everybody who turned eighteen since the twenty sixteen election, there are kids of color. But it's not nearly as diverse as Georgia, which is why Georgia has leapfrogged over it. So, in this environment, David, I mean, you'd have to say it's a very tough, uh, you know, situation for Democrats. It's kind of like the Florida earlier in this in this century where Democrats would would get close but couldn't get over the hump. Uh, Cooper is a really interesting question for 2024 because it goes to the larger issue, which is that if Biden doesn't run either because of health issues or because he's politically weakened or some combination of both, is there any plausible way for Democrats to move beyond the vice president without tearing apart the party, right? I mean, she is, you know, an African-American woman uh, who is the first vice president. And if you leap over her, that is, I think, going to be very wrenching in a party in which those are your most loyal and, and often motivated, uh, voters. But on the other hand, there are, if Biden is weakened, there are going to be a lot of Democrats who worry whether she is strong enough to beat Trump or whatever Trump-like nominee Republicans put forward. So, so if Biden doesn't run, I think it's going to be really tough for Democrats, uh, to, to settle on a choice. And, and personally, I think replacing her with a white man would be just just wrenching in the party and that if, if they are going to, if Biden doesn't run and there's a serious challenge, it's probably better for Democrats if it's a person of color. Interested in your thought.
1: Yeah, well look, I, I think first of all, there probably will be a primary if Biden doesn't run. Yes. Uh, you know, without getting into the reasons for it and there's lots being written about it and talked about. Uh, but, uh, you know, the VP is is not her stock is not trading high right now. there is, there are fears about uh, how competitive she would be in a national election, and you know a lot of this is going to be animated by fear of Trump. Yes, if he's on the other side of the equation, so people are going to see the stakes as very very high. So I do think that there'll be uh, a primary. I don't know, uh, Ron. You know, I don't know how you know how many candidates will run if there's an, if there is there's another African American candidate in the race. Does that divide that vote? You know, I, I think it's too early uh, to assess. But uh, the one thing I feel certain of is the odds are very, very high that there'll be a primary contest in 2024 if Biden doesn't run.
0: All, all, all I was trying to say was if if you had a scenario where Biden doesn't run and someone challenges Harris, which I think is guaranteed because of all the reasons you said. By the way, some of it is not even Relating to her performance, the fact that Biden, the 78 year old white guy, only won Wisconsin and Pennsylvania that narrowly instantly called into question whether she could do it against Trump in four years. But but I, all I was saying is that if you get into a scenario where 70, 75 percent of African-American voters are voting for her and someone else, a white guy maybe is the nominee anyway. I just think that is, ooh, uh, you know, that is that is kind of a, a, a very difficult uh, scenario for Democrats to. To, to kind of live through. And then, look, we've got a long way to go. Biden might want to run. I, I think, you know, the the question is whether he can run either right. for political or health reasons.
2: Yeah, no, no, I agree. I
1: agree. Well, we'll have many more conversations yes. here about um, that.
2: Ron, thank you. Always fun. And tell us about your book coming out in paperback. One more
0: plug. Rock Me on the Water, a history of how uh, movies, music, television, and politics were all transformed in early 1970s L.A., in a clash kind of like what we're living through now between the cultural preferences of a younger generation uh, and the political dominance of an older generation, Nixon's silent majority. So it's Jackson Brown and Jerry Brown (laughs) and Chinatown. (laughs) It's fantastic. I highly recommend it.
2: Really
1: fun and interesting book. Fellas, thank you so much. We'll see you next week, Murphy. See you, pal.